Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to one of the 10 best English-language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Three-three thriller in Bologna today ended up being a game of age versus beauty. Palacio nets three, while the next coming Abati goal, Dusan Vlahovic that is, nets two. Really exciting game, and I think if it was actually played at the first half of the season, this is one that everybody would be really excited about watching. But the fact is that we needed a full three points out of today's game. Has me feeling a little bit down. What do you take out of the game today, Tito? I'm pretty much with you. I think that, yeah, it was very exciting for a neutral, albeit pretty sloppy. But three points sure would have been nice at this time of year. Doesn't really, the single point doesn't really help anything, especially with a Taliri also getting a draw, and uh, yeah, leaves a little bit of a bad taste. And you know what? If we're going to talk about bad tastes, Mike, what are you drinking? No alcohol for me today. Last night was one of those epic nights. Uh, buddy came over, and because Cinco de Mayo falls on a weekday this this year, we celebrated a little bit early. Had some tequila, very good tequila. Uh, only uh, positive out of that is I did not have to pray to the porcelain gods. Just a good mixture of of Tylenol and, and Motrin got me through the night. Back here at it, trying to uh, drink a little bit more water. So this way I can get the rebalance of alcohol and blood. That's about it. How about you? Yeah, since we started at about 9 a.m. this morning, uh, felt a bit early to go to the booze. So I'm drinking a hot chocolate because I'm a child and I don't drink coffee either. And uh, yeah, that's my that's my order at the coffee shop. You got a donut though, right? Did get a donut. Yeah, I'm gonna be like a child hopped up on sugar right now. It's gonna be great, bouncing off the walls of the bunker. And, and what uh, is your go-to donut? Um, I go for the maple glaze, old-fashioned. Really like that. Uh, yeah, the fried and then the maple. I'm just a sucker for that. You know, as a Texan, it tastes like foreign exotic climes. And uh, yeah, I feel like the the uh, old-fashioned donut's way better than the cake. But if we're going to talk about cakes, we should also probably talk about birthdays. And we do have one this week on Friday, the 7th of May. One Giuseppe Iacchini turns 58. Mike, what do you remember about your 58th birthday? 
At this point, I'm just hoping I get to 58. With a few more nights like last night, I may be losing a few years, so I may have to start controlling those. 58 for him, impressive. Uh, I do wonder, though, how many years do you think he's lost on his life past two years, two seasons, coaching Fiorentino? Yeah, I feel like we might be getting into a dog year situation here, although it's really hard to tell how he's doing underneath that hat. Voice sounds great, though. Uh, I will say, I do feel like he comes in for a lot of criticism that he maybe doesn't entirely deserve from the fans. I mean, for one thing, he was a very good, faithful servant to the club as a player. Uh, played five years from 89 to 94, 149 appearances. Just a good, hard-working member of the squad during some times that weren't always the best and some that were pretty good. Uh, and then as a coach, he's been tossed into a couple of really difficult situations and has, you know, steadied the ship, done his best. Not always the most exciting, but he's really far from the biggest problem or only problem at this club. And I think we need to acknowledge the work he's done in a, in a really tough setting. I think ultimately Beppe is going to be judged uh, following this season. You know, if we stay up, I think really all you're going to know about Beppe as a coach of Fiorentina is he saved the club from relegation two years in a row. And that's the type of legacy anybody wants to have. So he's certainly somebody that has the, the, the opportunity to rewrite his history over the next four games. What that looks like, we're all hoping it's a positive outcome. Yeah. And hey, even if not, he's got a birthday. So that's exciting. Happy birthday, Beppe. Happy birthday. And I'm really glad that you brought up uh, history here, Mike, and legacies, because we do have a fun little piece of history. In the midweek, the Fiorentina Primavera beat Lazio for the Coppa Italia, and that was their third in a row, which is the first time that's ever happened. Very impressive. Uh, have to be impressed with Samuel Spaluto, who had two goals, uh, winning 2-1 in front of Rocco, in front of Joseph, in, in front of the Camiso family, was something that everybody can take joy in. Uh, I know at this point the pictures have made the rounds and, and everybody's seen Rocco holding up the cup and celebrating with the team. You have to hope at this point that that excitement is going to continue through into June's Mercado, where I think we hope he backs up the, the banking truck and, and you know leaves a whole pile of cash for somebody, Daniele Prade, to uh, spend the money there and, and buy some good players for the Primavera and, and for the men's team. But overall, you have to like what you saw out of it. Uh, very tough, gritty performance, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. Makes you wonder what's going on in the season, though, after uh, the Primavera won two titles in, in essentially – you know, 10 months at this point. So very, very uh, important, gritty performance. And, and you got to love seeing uh, those players celebrate with Rocco. Yeah, you bring up the regular season too there. And it, it is a little bit weird that they've won this trophy again for the third time in a row, which is just amazing. But they're sitting in, what, 11th place with 24 points in the Primavera standings. I mean, the, the, the table's a little bit wonky right now because there's some teams who've played 18 games, some have played 21. So it could all shake out in all kinds of weird directions here at any moment. But what, what do you think is different from them 
this year as opposed to the last couple of years with this team? I mean, aside from the fact that they're in a relegation scrap and have probably been taking the wrong lessons from the senior side. I think the first thing you have to take a look at is is the approach to the investment in the team. Going back to the Delaval, they really prioritized um, the, the Primavera. You know, the Delavalle just loved investing in these young players, bringing them in, having a super squad and, and seeing which of those players could, you know, rise up out of the ashes there. And, and it did work. I mean, you have uh, Chiesa who came up through the, the ranks and, and Dusan, who's you know, now having a great year uh, breaking out. Many other players who have, you know, either performed well and left or, or gone on loan and, and, you know, were transferred out. But, you know, th- there's been a lot of talent. I'm not exactly sure that we've invested in the Primavera the way that we should. Uh, Mutineau is, is, is really just the only player that I can think of that they spent money on to come in and, and has actually performed very well. Other than that, you're, you're seeing a lot of the, the players who have been inside of the Primavera for several years. Uh, we've had an interview with Samuel uh, Spaluto, had a great year, great performance in the, in the uh, title game. But he's definitely somebody, and, and he would admit it, that has overachieved. You know, Nobody predicted that he was going to be somebody that was going to be leading the charge you know, now talking about getting a uh, um, uh, an extension on his contract, and you know, where does he look next year? Is it something where he can look to compete for the first team, or is he going to go on loan? That's a great conversation for him. You know, there's a lot of you know really good talent that's still inside of the squad, but then you have to start thinking about the Aqualani situation. You know, is Aqualani doing the most with this talent? And and you know, to be honest, I'd, I'd throw it back to you to get your thoughts. You know, I'm really, I, I don't want to say anything bad about the Aquaman because he is, in his own right, a viola legend. But yeah, this this team seems really weird to me. I mean, in some ways, they don't seem to suit the three-five-two that they play. I think in an effort to to mirror the senior squad and ease that transition. I mean, like uh, Andrea Milani, who's been at right wing back, I don't really see as a wing back in the future. But there, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of talent uh, at the back and in defensive midfield and not as much going forward is sort of what I've thought looking at the guys. But then you look at the numbers and they've got one of the worst defenses in the Primavera division. It's been worse than last year, despite having what I would have thought was more talent there. And the attack has been better despite losing some really outstanding young players like Christian Kofi from last year. So I'm, I'm really not sure. And when, when I'm that confused about what's going on, it means that either one, my impressions are completely off base, which like, you know, definitely possible or two, that the, the coaching really hasn't been quite as good as it probably could be to, to bring the best out from these youngsters. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about Aquilani. Well, what would you think, Mike? Do you think it's worth keeping him around, or, or do you think it's time to, to part ways with him? Well, I think we have to start with what are the expectations of the club? You know, is the club just looking at the Primavera as developing players for the first team, or does the club expect to get silverware out of this Primavera squad? And if that's the case, then we do have to start looking at wins and losses here, uh, and we're not seeing a competitive team during the season 
uh, unlike what we've seen in the, in the past two rounds here, past three rounds, but past two rounds underneath Aquilani um, for the, the Copa title here. So I, I think, you know, that's, that's going to be one of those things as we come to the offseason that's going to be indicative of where we go. Is there an investment into more players? Because you have to think that at this point, you know, due to, due to and, and Spaluto, um, Krostev, uh, a lot of these players are, are going to be going on, on loan. So who's going to be that next group coming in underneath them? I know that there's a lot of promise inside of uh, Bianco and, and, you know, a couple other players but you still need to replenish that talent somewhere. And it can't all just come from the players that have been in the program for five, six, seven years. You have to go out there and find some of the best talent in Italy across the globe and bring those players in to compete on a daily basis with the others. That's really where you miss Pantaleo Corvino, I think, is bringing in those youth players because he was, for all his many faults, fantastic at spotting young talent or at least for getting the agents of young talent to spot them for him and bring him back. But yeah, you know, I, you're, you are right. It's all about setting goals, figuring out long-term expectations. And uh, hey, that could all change too if they get relegated, which, you know, let's talk relegation because this is a Fiorentina podcast and that's pretty much all we can do these days, right? Um, Unfortunately. What what would you say the odds are right now with Fiorentina getting relegated, Mike? We're recording this uh, right after the Bologna game. You know, we've still got a couple of games to go on the on the fixture list for this week. But yeah, if you're a, if you're a betting man, what kind of odds would you lay me? You know, odds are odds are kind of hard to put together because there are you know four or five other teams right now in that relegation battle with us. Uh, I think that the odds, you know, 40% chance of going down, which I think is is still too high of a chance. I, I know we've been talking about this on every single podcast. And, and since the January Mercado, I have been down on the team. And it's not necessarily just because, you know, we have been performing poorly. It's because of the aggressive nature in how our competition for relegation went out and bought some really good players and and surrounded them with some better coaching we weren't that aggressive and, and that was very concerning to me and when you're as an organization not aggressive the players seem to follow that uh, line of thinking as well I think now and more recently over the past couple of weeks we have seen a more aggressive team we're not necessarily playing Beppe ball you know having a tie game of 3-3 today um, is much more exciting than what we've seen in the past. But you still have to think, you know, 40% chance is, is still way too high. You know, we have a home game against Lazio, away against Colleri, uh, home game against Napoli, and away against Crotone. I mean, if I was going to be honest, I would flip those. I would rather have the away games at Lazio and Napoli, and I would rather have the home games at Colleri and, and, and Crotone because those are the winnable games, and you want to have them coming into uh, the Franchi, even if there's no fans and it's not as uh, intimidating as it normally would be if it was a packed house. But, you know, Lazio's hot. They're right now competing for the Champions League. Uh, Napoli's right there for the Champions League. You know, the only thing that has me questioning them is, will they actually fire 
Gattuso if if they qualify for the the Champions League that that seems kind of crazy. Colliery has been a very very good team since the uh, Mercado and and I know that they've lost some games and gave away a few but they have been very aggressive in each and every one of them. Uh, and then you know again talking about Crotone, is there a worse time to play Crotone? than the last game of the season for many of these players this could be the last Serie A game that they ever play in you know that they're going to want to go out with some success getting you know a couple goals having a highlight to tell their children and their grandchildren years to come so it does have me very fearful of it I do believe in the end we'll stay up the competition out there there's just too many others that are that are at the same point or worse than we're at and we do have Dusan Vlahovic, who's the ultimate, um, you know, thriller and, and going to be the savior for this club, in my personal opinion. What are your thoughts? I'm with you on Vlahovic. I think out of all the relegation teams, he's far and away the best player on any of those rosters. And that does make a big difference. Uh, yeah, I mean, looking at the other teams in the drop zone, you know, I think that Benevento is absolutely going to go down at this point. They look terrible. They've won one from their past 18 matches, which was at Juventus, which makes everything way funnier to me. I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, but yeah, Pippo and Zaghi, I think we can go ahead and say is not an especially good coach in the Serie A level after his stint at Milan and now at Benevento. Uh, Cagliari, you're right. They do look better. I'm still not totally convinced because their uh, three in a row wins before today were against Parma, Udinese, and Roma, who are just imploding. Uh, I mean, I, I do kind of want them to go down, just because that way maybe uh, Ricky Sotil and Alfred Duncan come back, don't get redeemed from their loans. Uh, I think Torino, also probably safe, although they've got a fairly tricky run in as well. Uh, extra game, too, because they do have that replay. Uh, they should also go down, I'll say, because Urbano Cairo is one of the worst owners in Serie A. And when you've got, you know, just absolute doorknobs like Massimo Ferrero and uh, De Laurentiis out there, that's really saying something. Uh, I think Spezia probably going to make it. Weird bunch of misfits. I don't get how that team is constructed, but they're kind of fun. I also really love the Stadio Alberto Pico, and it's tiny. It only holds, what, 10,000 people. Uh, if they get relegated, Ricky Sapanaro will be back. He might get sent back from his loan anyways if they don't choose to redeem him, but I kind of hope they do because he's played really well, scored a really important goal for him uh, yesterday against Hellas Verona. Looking at all those other teams, I don't think any of them are better than Fiorentina. I guess is the short answer. I think they're all about the same. And Fiorentina have, I think, enough of a cushion to stay up. Uh, yeah, it, it would be great to get results against uh, Cagliari and Crotone. That Cagliari one looks like it might be the decider. But I feel like maybe four points from these last four games is probably enough to guarantee safety. Uh, keeping in what mind... What I predicted. Yeah. Four. Nailed it. So yeah, tell you what. We're doing predictions then. Uh, tell me, Mike, 
why is Fiorentina getting relegated? Give me one reason. <laughs> one reason. We're, we're going to break the rules here. Why are we going to get relegated? I'm going to break, break the rules and go with two. Number one, which this whole thing started in January. It was an absolutely atrocious January Mercado, which, in my personal opinion, set the table for everything that's happened since. Coker and Malqui, garbage, out the door. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, but the second reason is much more recent, and this is the one that's actually problematic on the pitch right now. Herman Petzela. The more that he is playing, I do believe that he is hurting his legacy inside of Firenze with the fans. He really hurt the team today. I do believe that the reason we drew 3-3 was largely in part to the performance or lack thereof of Captain Herman Petzela. That's yeah, Petzela has definitely not been a strength this year. I think for me, it's more just the squad depth. If anyone gets hurt, I'm not going to say your large adult son's name here in, in fear of jinxing him. But if he goes out, if any of the midfielders go out, if uh, Lorenzo Venuti goes out, there's no real depth behind them. And that is really concerning to me and speaks volumes about the squad building in Florence. So, yeah, I think that the perpetual risk of injuries means that, you know, the slightest, you know, a guy misses two games and that could that could make all the difference. On the other hand, give me one reason that Fiorentina isn't getting relegated. This one's easy. Say it with me now. Dusan Vlahovic. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's the that's the podcast. That that's it. End it. No, I, <laughs> I think uh, I really do think Fiorentina can get another four points. Uh, and also, I don't think that both Benevento and Cagliari are going to win two of their remaining games and draw one, which is what they would need to pull even with Fiorentina on points especially because Fiorentina already does have the tiebreaker on Benevento, and they've beaten Cagliari earlier as well. So basically, Benevento would have to win, would have to not lose the rest of the way and win two games. Cagliari would have to beat Fiorentina, beat someone else, and draw another one to pull ahead on points. And I, I just don't see that happening. That seems really unlikely to me. So yeah, I remain pretty convinced that probably Benevento, maybe Colliery is going to be that third team going down. Uh, where where are you at? You think it's one of them, or is there a dark horse for the trapdoor? I, I do have a dark horse taking a look at schedules, and this is purely based off of remaining teams that people are playing. I am putting Spezia in that group there. Napoli, Sampdoria, relegation rival Torino, and Roma. Roma can't be that bad. When you look at the teams there, there's a realistic chance that they don't win or get any points the rest of the way. So I am going to move Spezia into that list of teams that could go down. I'm going to put them at that 80% mark. Be a bummer. I do love having some Ligurians in there. All right. Well, let's, let's change things up a little bit here. And uh, we're going to talk stadium things. And I think this is the part of the day where we hand the microphone to Mike and just let him go. Mike, what is going on with the Fiorentina stadium situation? 
yeah, there's there's a long dramatic pause for effect, but also so that my blood pressure does not rise to, to an unsafe level. You know, politicians are politicians. We live in the United States, and and I think we certainly understand, uh, you know, how po politicians need to, you know, get out in front and and you know make promises and under deliver. And I think that that's kind of where we're at. Unfortunately, what does that mean? Well, that's going to impact the Fiorentina team and the ability to renovate, build new, and then get the revenue from a stadium that they own. We know at this point that Nardella has promised to have this super fund created as you start looking at how this super fund needs to be created, it's damn near impossible that something like this would ever be done. And then the next way of doing it is to actually start taking the money out of the local taxes and having people pay a little bit more. And that makes absolutely no sense. And you're now starting to see the local personalities speak up on it where there's a businessman worth $7 billion who wants to self-finance a brand new stadium and bring jobs into the area, high paying jobs. And we're trying to tell him no, for what? It makes absolutely no sense. So now we're at a point where we're going back and forth. It sounds like there's a little bit more understanding between Nardella and Camiso, uh, but that makes me a little bit hesitant too at what point does Rocco just give up on this and say, hey, listen, you're not going to let me. So you go and do whatever the hell you want to do. I'm just going to sit here and allow things to, to kind of play out. That's what I'm honestly taking out of this. I don't think that there's any better relationship between Rocco and Nordella. I don't think Nordella is any further in getting this done. I don't think that it will get done. And we're just going to be sitting here another year, two years without any idea direction, blueprints of, of what the, the stadium looks like. And, and that is frustrating. I mean, I, I think one of the you know weird things to take out of the Fiorentina games being televised nationally in the United States two weeks ago, I think it was, on ABC. First time Serie A was, was on uh, ABC, a, a nationally televised game on, on one of the main channels. One of the things that I took out of it without the fans there is you can absolutely see how morose that stadium is. Just grotesque, falling apart, paint chipped, rust, break, damage everywhere, absolutely everywhere. I'm telling you, in the United States, that stadium would not allow people into it. High school stadiums have better funding have better maintenance than that stadium does. And, and it's very unfortunate because I think a large part of Rocco's plan to succeed with the club after he purchased them did have to do with him investing 200 to $300 million into a stadium, which would fund the Mercados for every year to come afterwards. And because of politics, because of politicians, everybody's hurt as a result. And I don't blame Rocco. I don't. I think Rocco had all of the best intentions. I just think that we're at a point now where somebody needs to do something over in Florence and it can't be him. You know, I, I think we're at the point, and I think I said it before, 
where the ultras and the fans have to stop signing pieces of paper. We need to stop sending around notes that people are just going to attach their name to. That's doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, Gianni just got reelected, and he's in there, I think, for another six years. But Mar- Nardell is going to be coming up. You know, start putting that into practice. I think we saw what happened today with Manchester United, not talking about the fans storming the fields, but the fans certainly went and showed their lack of appreciation for Fiorentina at the practice facilities last week. They protested, they chanted, they circled. The team had to come out and confront them. I think at some point the Ultras are going to have to do that with Nardella. And there is just a beautiful square where they can all go and organize right outside of the mayor's office. They can sing very loud. The acoustics are great there. Take a little bit of video, have some fun, and try to make things different because Nardell is not going to do it. So I think, in all honesty, I approach this much better. I did not yell. I did not raise my voice. I, I think I was pretty calm throughout the entire thing but it's not a calming situation. So that's where I'm at. Any, any thoughts that you have? I'm genuinely impressed. That was the most measured you've been on the stadium question. I think ever that, yeah, well done, Mike. Round of applause, please, for, for Mike McCormack not losing his uh, composure. I'll just add that it's pretty crazy that this 95 million euros from the COVID relief fund One, that that would get funneled towards rebuilding a stadium. I think that post-coronavirus, there are probably better places that money could go, especially when there is a private business entity in Fiorentina, as owned by Rocco Camuso, offering to sink, I think it was $300 into into the project. I have an English degree, so the numbers aren't my strong suit here. But to me, that feels... Very, very off. And yeah, I'm I'm just disappointed for everyone involved and with pretty much everything that's come out of it like you. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Alright, so we're going to start a new feature here that we're going to try to make a, uh, I guess we can't say weekly, but an every episode type thing where, you know, as we are enmeshed in all the negativity around Fiorentina all the time, where we pick out a standout player from, uh, from the squad that a lot of people don't pay attention to. So let's start out with the Primavera. Mike, who is your standout performer of the week? And I think I might have an idea who you're you, going to you say. You kind of love who you love. There, there's no way that you can stop your own emotions. Uh, it happened with Borja Valero. It happened with Dusan Vlahovic. And it's certainly happening with Samuel Spaluto. 
this kid has been absolutely amazing. And I'll start it with when I saw him live, the intensity that this kid has, he really is overachieving for the God-given ability that he had. He is very, very talented. Don't take that the wrong way, but he is somebody that works harder than anybody that you will see out there. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely going with him. His performance uh, last week in the title game was the, the, the Copa game was absolutely amazing. He lifted up the team, which allowed Rocco to lift up his first cup. That was going to be my answer too. So I'm actually going to provide a second option here and I'll go with Nicolo Fiorozzi, who was deeply involved in both of those goals that Spoluto set up and the, and the, uh, what do you call Copa final against Lazio in the midweek? Uh, for the first one, he headed Andrea Milani's cross off of the bar, rebound went to Spoluto, who tucked it away brilliantly. Uh, and he hit the cross for Spoluto's second. So, yeah, Fiorazzi been a very highly regarded prospect for a while. Clearly putting it together looks great as a wing back. And yeah, I feel like two goal involvements probably shout him out. I think he deserves it, but Spoluto's definitely the uh, the one I would go with as well if you hadn't taken it already. Uh, for the women's team, I'm actually going to go with Louise Quinn. It's been a little bit of a rough season for her, first one in Italy. I think just adjusting to life, she's been very open about it in some of her interviews. Uh, talked about just the different approach, the different style, and how she's had to adapt, learning a new language, learning new teammates, everything. She started out a little bit rocky in the year, but she's really, really come along. She's been fantastic all season, maybe not all season, but yeah, after the first month or so to really to settle in, she's just looked a class above pretty much every defender I've seen in Italy this year. Still not the quickest, but she's she's developed that sense of uh, that sense of space, where she needs to be, anticipation, Made some really good tackles, fantastic in the air. Two goals, uh, and against Bari, she was imperious. Didn't let anything get by her. Uh, who would you say for this week, Mike, from the from Fiorentina Femminile? Can you not go with Quinn? Number one reason, she likes more of our post than anybody else on the squad. Right that there. had nothing to do with my selection. I can assure you, <laughs> it might have uh, had everything to do with my selection. <laughs> Uh, you know, Sabatino, also great performance, but I'm going to go with somebody who had a birthday last week, I believe, uh, in Schrofinger. She has been very good uh, manning the sticks, and uh, I've been very, very impressed. For me, she came out of nowhere. I, I didn't know uh, who she was prior to the season, and she has really, really impressed me. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely going with Schrofinger. Yeah, can't hate Katya. She's she. Same here. I didn't think that she was going to unseat Orstrom as the starter, and she's been fantastic. Uh, so let's move on now to the players out on loan. Who's really impressed you on loan this year? Uh, do you want to go? Do you want to go first on this one? You go ahead. All right. Well, I'll go with Alexa Turcic then. Down the road with the neighbors at Empoli, he's only got the one one assist, no goals, but he's nailed down a job as a starter. And he's looked really, really good, especially defensively, which was always the big concern about him. He's very good on the ball, good crosser, nice passer, quick. But 
he's only been playing as a fullback for what I think maybe three years now. He was a winger coming up as a kid, and he got moved back, uh, moved back into the defense back in Serbia. So when he got to Florence for the first time, he he arrived with maybe nine months of experience actually playing left back, and he looks to me at least like he's ready to serve as at least Cristiano Baraghi's backup next year. I mean, he, he can't be worse than uh, Antonio Barreca, at the very least. And I'm, I'm really impressed with how he's developed. I think he's been, I think he's had a really good year, and he's been very solid recently. I didn't like the phrase, Baraghi's backup. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah. trying to be measured, trying to be measured. Yeah, I get it, I get it. Uh, yeah, I, I've been very impressed with what Alfred Duncan's done. Uh, in his time with Cagliari, you know, he's been phenomenal. And I, I believe that that's one of those transfer pieces of business in January that I just was not happy with sending a very, very, very good midfielder that this team needs. And we did not replace to a relegation rival made absolutely no sense. And he has been very crucial in staying in games in in helping them to get a point, three points there. I've been very impressed with with what he has done. I would not be unhappy if he came back because he has uh, shown time and time again that he is a very skilled mid- midfielder that can help any team inside of Serie A. I, I, I'm with you. I don't understand why two coaches now in Fiorentina have clearly not rated him well enough to uh, to give him any playing time because he's he's a good player. Wish, yeah. It would be fun if he got to come back and uh, and take a spot in the midfield. I would I would welcome it. All right, we're going to close out the day with some reader questions, and for that, we're going to bring on producer Mike. Hi, producer Mike. How's it going, guys? Uh, how are we all in this fine day? Uh, sun's shining in the bunker, so things are lovely in here. I'm getting there. Maybe maybe the questions from our loyal listeners and readers would, would cheer some of you guys up. Wolfpack All Day wants to know, Tito, what are you looking out for the rest of the year with the team, and what certain players do you want to look for? Uh, for the rest of the year, I think that just not puking all over the fronts of their shirts would be ideal. Like we said, four points would be great. Uh, for certain players, I would love to see get 20 goals, which I think he probably will. Uh, I think that would make him Fiorentina's highest league scorer since Luca Toni hit 31. Uh, I think the his next obstacle is Alberto Gilardino had 19, I think in what, 08, 09? So 20 will get him, will get Vlaovic up there into past the Gila monster, which would be really cool. Uh, I'd love to see Herman Petzela kind of lay himself out of his funk. Uh, and I'd love to see a lot more from pretty much everyone else on the team, if I'm being honest. All right, Mike, we're coming to you with this one from Zimtaro, who wants to know, what do you think is the best formation for this current squad, and how should we line up next year? I'm going to change things a little bit up on the squad, and it's going to be based off of Two factors. Dusan Vlahovic has been asking for somebody to line up next to him up top. And I believe Gaetano Castrovilli is best suited in an attacking midfield role. 
moving him up. So I'm moving to a 4-3-1-2. That's going to put Dushan and another striker up top, Castrovilli at the attacking mid. We have three holding midfielders, not exactly sure who they are uh, going to be next year. I'm going to slot Benuti in. You know, talk about a great cross, man. Oh, man, that was beautiful today. Uh, that alone got him into the starting lineup moving uh, into next year. Uh, I have uh, LMQ, Igor, and I'm going to ask for a signing of Lovato out of Kievo. Uh, and uh, those three are going to fight for the two center back spots, and then we need to sign a new left back. So, I'm hopeful we go into a 4-3-1-2 next year based off of what I see being the best fit for our two best players, Castrovilli and Dusan Blahovic. I appreciate the optimism, but as we all know, it's going to be 3-5-2 until the end of time. Joker, Joker. All, right, <laughs> all right, Tito, this one's coming from Texas Viola. We got a two-part question here. Who in the current squad do you think will be gone by this time next year? And what kind of transfer funds do you think we'll have at our disposal this summer? Mm. Who's going to be gone? I think that's going to be a real long list. I think that um, Milenkovic, certainly on his way out. Petzela, very possibly on his way out. I wouldn't be shocked if Ulgar got his move because there's been a lot of chatter around teams like Leeds looking at him since last year. Uh, Ribery's. I think probably not going to sign an extension, although current news have, suggests otherwise. Uh, boy, howdy. Who else? Uh, I think Martin Caceres is probably gone. I don't think he's going to renew. Yeah, pretty much everyone, I think, has a chance to be somewhere else at the end of this year. Uh, for the transfer funds, that's a little bit trickier. I mean, we know that Rocco's got money, but as we've said before, with the limitations of financial fair play, there's only so much you can invest. So I would guess that we could see something like 15 to 20 million out of pocket. And then beyond that, it's going to require uh, some sales with Milenkovic likely out. That means there will probably be more, but with Finance is kind of scrambled by a coronavirus, you know, no uh, stadium gate tickets or sorry, stadium receipts for tickets, no cash coming in that way. It's it's going to be smaller than everyone wants, but it's going to be smaller for everyone as well. So I'm I'm still fairly confident we'll see a robust Mercado. All right. This will lead us right into this question from Barbouche. And this one's for Mike. With everything Tito just laid out for us, who's going out and what money we have. What does a perfect offseason look to you? I prepared for this. I'm going to do a little bit of reading. Resigning Dusan Vlahovic is number one. Uh, offer the guy $3 million a year. Sign him to an extension to 2025. And since this is a perfect offseason, there is no buyout agreement inside of this. Uh, where we're going next is, like all Mercados that Fiorentina has had over the past X amount of years, we're going to start with the selling and then hopefully we can get to the buying. Milankovic is leaving. They're, you know, they're talking about 35 to 40, Petzela for six, Amrabat for 21, Baragi for four, Duncan for 12, Lafont just was, I think, 7.5. I'll round down to seven. Ceccarini, I believe, will be redeemed. That's two. Benassi, I'm hopeful. 
unlikely, but again, perfect. You know, two, uh, Larola seems like he's going to be very likely uh, kept in Marseille. Uh, Ten. So you have Cochran who goes on on loan. I don't know who would take him at this point, but uh, we said again, what is the best possible scenario? Um, I don't necessarily think that Rivery has to leave, but in, in this scenario, I'm going to say that he does. We're taking the money from Ribery and we're taking that and giving it right to Dusan Vlahovic. Incoming, perfect. Uh, Florian Newhouse. Uh, I'm, I'm building a team with him in midfield. That that's that's my that's my guy right there. Uh, probably costing about forty million. Um, I'm going with Locatelli. I've been I've been a big fan for for some time. Thirty five to forty. We've talked about Matteo Lovato uh, at Kievo for fifteen. I'm going back to another guy that I'm waiting to fall in love with. Samuel Ritchie, uh, fifteen. I'm gonna move Maxi Gomez just because we were connected to him before. There's uh, about 20 million to get him in. And as a backup, because we did talk about not having much depth, I'm going to go with bringing back fan favorite Jovetic on a bossman here for uh, zero. Um, there's another guy that, because I think we need to really start taking a look at moving Baragi out. Uh, I like y- Yairo Moreno, who plays right now in Mexico, um, and he's available for free as well. So Teal comes back uh, from his loan, uh, but I'm also going to have one other signing here, which I think is going to be very important. Rocco is an Italian-American. I think it's about time that this squad got some uh, American blood. One of the best young players out there right now that we have been attached to in the past has been uh, Gianluca uh, uh, Busio for uh, seven to 10 million, it seems like. So that's another player where I think there's a lot of excitement that can build not only the squad in Italy, but the presence and the viewership of many other viola clubs in the United States. And that's exactly what Rocco's trying to do. If you cannot build a stadium and get revenue out of it, you need to start getting players that can bring you into bigger markets. That's exactly what this kid can do here. So that is my perfect, market that's my perfect off season can it get better sure yeah i'm sure people have some uh other ideas out there for who can come in and who can go out but the question was for me i think it's about time we come crashing back down to reality we there's there's way too much optimism for this to be a fiorentina podcast right now so i'm gonna stick with you mike <laughs> with all that happiness what is it like in the dressing room at the moment uh, at, at the moment, uh, well, first of all, I'm just going to start the question. What's it like in the dressing room in, in general? Uh, I think for this, I'll, I'll actually post the link of when, you know, we had the, the tour uh, and we have some video of the actual dressing room itself, you know, seeing where the players, you know, get changed, hanging out, seeing the tunnel. The tunnel is the most amazing part of that stadium. It's the longest tunnel that players leave the, the training room, the dressing room and going on to the pitch. It absolutely chills when I walk down that tunnel. What's it like right now? I, I think it's actually pretty happy, you know, surprisingly. Uh, Dushan has has a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, you see him being being very public about still thanking Ribery and, and the tutelage that he's given. Um, but I, I do believe, based off of what I'm hearing, that there is still a lot of positivity uh, inside of that locker room. You almost want to hope that they'd feel a little bit more down. But 
they're young, many of them, uh, maybe them just hungry to to get a couple wins. But from from what I'm hearing, you know, it's not like uh, everybody's down inside of that locker room. There's, there is some optimism, which I hope will start playing out over the next four games, and that optimism will keep us up. All right, Tito, this one's coming over to you. At Jimmy Fabes wants to know, what are your general thoughts on the Feminiles team season? Are you disappointed with a fifth, sixth league placing? Or are you pretty happy knowing how much changeover we've had and a push for the Champions League? Very much the latter, I think. Uh, when we had Antonio Chincota on the podcast at the start of the season, he was very, very open about this being a transition year with so many key players leaving, so many new players coming in, implementing a, a very different style of play. I, I don't think that we ever really thought that Fiorentina was going to reach the heights it had in the past few years, especially with teams like uh, Milan strengthening a whole lot, Roma strengthening a whole lot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm obviously not thrilled to end up in the mid-table with them, but I think they have a lot more reason to, to be where they are than does the men's side. And I'm also genuinely impressed with them that despite dealing with so many injuries, so many departures, uh, you know, there, there have been times where the bench is two senior players and then everyone else is getting called up from the Primavera. So despite all of all of these really adverse circumstances, that the club got farther in the Champions League than it ever has, and I think the farthest any Italian team has ever got. So, yeah, not not quite a successful season, but I don't think anything to be ashamed of by any stretch of the imagination either. All right, now we'll stick with you, Tito, as we take a little bit of a stroll down memory lane. Who would you say is the greatest number 20 in Fiorentina's history? We don't need to ask Mike because we know his answer may not necessarily include Pizzella at the moment. So let's just hear from you this time, Tito. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. I probably won't add him on right now, although maybe in 10 years we'll feel a little differently. Uh, yeah, this was this is a tough one for me. I'm a little bit too young to remember Enrico Piesa very well. So I can't I can't say him in good conscience. And as much as I love Martin Jurgensen, I don't think he quite fits there either. And for me that leaves Borja Valero, who I think even if I was old enough to have seen Piesa Senior play a lot, I would have gone with Borja. If you're nicknamed the mayor it means you're doing something right. Yeah. I mean, not only for what he did on the field, but he just seems like such a wonderful, cool person. And honestly, that probably means more than the rest of it, especially at a club like Fiorentina. This follow-up question from Mike R. wants to know about our market prospects. Are we in any way, shape, or form a possible destination for Andres Duda? Yeah, uh, I hear he's closing in. Any moment now. Stay posted. We'll uh, we'll update the website. Surely that's going to be breaking news next podcast. So everybody needs to make sure to tune into that one. All right, Mike. Hasanka wants to know a little bit more off the field information. Do we have a lion mascot still? Lion mascot? What? What lion mascot? I never never saw a lion mascot. Uh, the team 
their official stance is there's never been a line mascot. I don't know what I don't know what Nisanka is talking about. No line mascot here. Never has been. Never will be. I, I don't know. Figment of his imagination. I, as it is with this whole season, it may just be a blur to all of us. Sometimes better that way. So Tito, with your life down in the bunker, Fiorentina hovering above relegation, Hisanka wants to know from you, how's your hair holding up? You know, I'm going to throw that back to Mike. Mike, how does my hair look right now? Be my mirror. You have one beautiful head of hair. Coming from a man who's really jealous, the only way that I'll have hair on my head is if I come it up from my beard. That is something to be very, very proud of. Uh, and to be honest, it, it never moves. It, it never does. I mean, you you have the headset on top of it. It's like Jimmy Johnson-like almost. It, it's it's impressive. The secret is to make it out of Legos. I think I saw that in a movie once. All right, Tito. This will be our last question of the day. Chiesa Di Tati wants to know the most important question of all. If you were allowed two fully domesticated tapirs to keep as pets, what would you name them and why? I have a feeling I know who's behind this, Bryn. And the answer is that it's not possible. You cannot domesticate the tapir. The tapir is wild and free and beautiful and must live that way forever. And I think that's probably all we have time for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And from Mike and me and producer Mike, it's been a pleasure. See y'all next time. Viola Station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Producer Mike did all the real work. Our theme song is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from Viola Nation. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Podcast Network.